Oh, I forgot what I was supposed to say. Welcome <laughs> to the Garbage Fire Podcast, a.k.a. MFKS Radio on the Airwaves dial at 487.52. Your pod is hosted by Kelsey and Megan, who are enjoying not being at work. Oh, lovely, lovely. I like how you're like, I got an opening, and then immediately beefed it. <laughs> <laughs> My brain That's- just like empty that was the most thinking i've had to do in five days so like. that's such a classic kelsey move you should be concerned i think you should go to your doctor immediately uh, i'm fine oh god there's something i say right yeah <laughs> like the oh no the garbage yep. podcast is all about being un- unironically yeah something something passionate that you would dive to the dumpster for the things that you love. I have Hooray! I usually do the opening though, so it's I don't usually do the <laughs> second part. <laughs> oh boy. Um look at us go. Whew, we've been like it's not like we've not been talking on the phone for like half an hour anyway. Um but yeah. we didn't talk about any of the things that we're gonna talk about on the show. And I did find the question that I had, which just made me laugh. And I don't know if you'll remember why it's funny. But I hope you do, because as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, this is a good, this is a good one. Um, so, uh, this is our second episode in a really short time span, uh, although I have not yet posted the one that we did a couple weeks ago, because I've been very busy. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, uh, this is episode number 150. Oh my god, that's right. Shit, Which, we didn't do no, anything. <laughs> no, it's fine. We didn't have to do anything. I was like, eh, we did, it's good. The fact that we're doing two in like two weeks, we, we just got to be celebrating that. That's it. Um, we're almost yeah, weekly is... like we started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is uh, episode 150, which seems absurd that like this started because <laughs> I listened accidentally to Puck Soup at 1.25 and couldn't figure out why it was so funny. And I was like, I could be funnier than those dudes. And now here we are. Here we are. <laughs> How, six um, years later, you said? Six years? Six years later, yeah. God. Wait, 150 divided by six? <laughs> it's not a great track record it's for the last, record. like, three years, basically. <laughs> but you know what? Whatever. Things <laughs> things have changed, you know? You, you've you got a child, and uh, that significantly limits the availability that you have. And I have a job, and so I can't record during the day during the week unless I'm on a break. Yeah, which is why we're doing it now. Yeah, um, yeah, one fifty. That's that's where we're at. When we did one hundred, we got to we did oops all questions, which was very fun. And uh, this one, I think I only have one question because I keep forgetting that we have a Twitter account. So <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, that's that. Uh, I did listen actually to some older stuff. Somebody on Twitter had posted something about like sports fan fiction something or another and I or Hallmark movies I can't remember exactly how it was and I was like oh my friend and I we wrote a script for a Hallmark movie and so then it sort of inspired me to go back into the archives and listen to some stuff and man some of the ones we did in person were just like they were so funny yeah god I know I actually, we have to chat about this afterwards because there's potentially a weekend I'm coming up in January by myself. Okay, cool. So we could potentially do do some in-person stuff then, which would be that, superb. It would be very fun. Um, but yeah, like some of that in-person stuff and like it was like that manic Friday night energy that I think is what did yeah. it. Like because we did lots of Fridays and after work and like we were just insane. Yeah. 
like, I think there were times in that period where I legitimately didn't feel human. (laughs) You're coming off, like, the exhaustion of Friday, and then I'm picking up Arby's, and we're just on, like, some sort of sodium high for the next three hours after that. Like, it was just... The vibes were great. The vibes vibes were were they were impeccable that's yeah they were they were wonderful but yeah some of that in-person stuff like I, when I listen to it and I think about it like the fact that people listened to us and weren't like these bitches are crazy uh, and just kept listening is shocking to me I mean we we had a little bit of a, a magic combo that's when we peaked that's when we mm-hmm. peaked Megan mm-hmm. was right when we started <laughs> So does that mean we're now like Tom Buchanan, right? Like we peaked in high school and uh, that was the end of that? A hundred percent. And we're just like dragging it along. (laughs) (laughs) Every once in a while there's a gem though. So I feel like, you know, might as well keep going for a little while at least. That's Um, true. Yeah. So if you're still around and you're, I know Mike will listen to this whenever I end up getting it posted. Uh, Thanks for listening. If you're one of those people who's still around and has been around since the beginning, or if you're that rando in Kingston, Ontario, uh, who like listened to some of our episodes once upon a time, we still want to know who you are. Um, (laughs) Shall we? We shall. Do you want to do the preamble? Sure. Uh, So one of the things that we have done in the past on this show, and I think we do a pretty good job of it, is talk about, like, movies and TV and things that we both enjoy. And we have the same tastes in a lot of stuff, so it's easy Mm -hmm. to do that. Uh, Every once in a while, you'll say something about, like, I tried to start watching The Fall of the House of Usher. Uh, I watched, like, the first episode, and I was like, nope, too scary. (laughs) I need, need, like, something different right now. Yeah. Um, And so I'll get to it eventually. But we have the same taste in a lot of stuff, which is kind of nice. And so, and we both also like to read, which is Mm -hmm. helpful. And we like to read lots of the same kind of stuff. And so that's been very helpful for this kind of thing. And so we were both very, very excited when we saw that there was a television adaptation on Netflix of the novel All the Light We Cannot See. Um, I would say that it's probably my favorite book in the last, from the last 10 years. I think That's it's at fair. the top of my list, and I would I've recommended it to just about everybody that I know who likes to read. Um, mm-hmm. For people who don't like to read, I recommend *The Silent Patient* because it's also very good, um, but it doesn't involve quite as much of an emotional investment. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, I would say that's my favorite book in the last ten years, and it was just ab- the 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 story was very very compelling, but like the structure of the novel was just absolutely magical. Um, and so when we heard there was going to be a television adaptation, we were both very excited. Um, and especially because it was Netflix, so it was like, you know, given the miniseries treatment, there was four episodes, it wasn't just going to be like a little like 90 minute movie or whatever, because I don't think you could make a 90 minute movie out of that book. No, absolutely not. With all the, and this, we've talked about this a lot, how we do really enjoy the different timelines, the different you know, narrative perspectives that change frequently throughout a book, uh, you know, and then you have the sort of crossing of those perspectives as part of the climax of a piece of writing. But yeah, I don't think you could successfully do this in a 90 minute or even two hour situation for sure. No, I think there's too much, there's too much backstory, I think, involved and too many flashbacks that you'd have to somehow incorporate in order to get it down to that kind of runtime. And I just don't know that you would do a lot of that stuff justice. No, not at all. 
Um, so Netflix released their adaptation on November the 2nd, so it's only been out for uh, a week. And of course, we both finished it because it's only four episodes and we were like, well, we have a podcast to do. So guess we're <laughs> going to talk about this. Um, and Kelsey finished it before I did and she's like, I have thoughts. And I was like, I'm not done yet. And then I finished it last night and then I texted her and I was like, I have some thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't shared any of our thoughts. So this we're going into this discussion 100% blind with each other. Okay, I would like to first acknowledge and praise us for our restraint. <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> because it is... It is... So I just said that I didn't think, you know, two hours can do it. Unfortunately, four hours did also not do it. <laughs> yes, I agree. It needed more. It needed more. It was extremely uneven. Which I'm curious what you thought about the, like, tone and pacing on it. Mm -hmm. If we could just, like, pull it back for a second and just look at who's in this film. Or, it, I guess, miniseries, yeah. Um, the Aria Mia Liberty, who's pretty mm -hmm. much the main character, crushed it, I think. I think she was mm -hmm. great. Lewis Hoffman is a fucking star. Well, do you know who I was thinking of when I was watching him? I was like, he's just... George uh, McKay. George McKay, yes. Yes! Thank but you. like a German George McKay, basically. Yes, yes. 100%. Lu and this is the guy who's the star of that German show Dark that I apparently was the only one in the world who watched. And is like fucking incredible in that show. And is so good in this show. He is like the king of a single tear down the cheek. Oh, mm -hmm. it was wonderful to watch. Lars mm -hmm. Eidinger, also very good. He plays Von Rumpel. He's in that other German show, Ber Babylon Berlin, which I watched when I was postpartum, which was fantastic. Hugh Laurie loved him in this. Mm -hmm. He was great. M he was great. Marion Bailey loved her as Madame Manek. You know who I didn't love, Megan? Mark Ruffalo. <sighs> So Mark here's the thing. I Ruffalo. think if Mark Ruffalo did not have to do a British accent, I think I would have loved Mark Ruffalo just fine. His accent was awful. Awful. You know who I would have loved in this role? The guy from The Artist. If it was Jean Dujardin, can you oh, imagine? Yeah. How much better this would have been as a whole? Like, the gravitas that he would have brought to this. The, like, authenticity of just the the French, you know, culture and the posture. And, like, that whole, like, attitude was missing. Mark Ruffalo, too nice. Mm -hmm. Too plain. Too soft for this role, for sure. Which, in, in the, the bits where it's, like, him and his daughter, especially when she's young was perfect like that's the kind of sort of uh, that's the kind of father that that she needed at the time but yes I agree I was when I saw the cast when I first was like oh they're making him who's in it and I was like yeah. Mark Ruffalo yeah why so that was out of place yes so out of place. yeah and that's un really unfortunate because I think that they're the casting other than him I think was like spot on so good like even I was surprised when I first saw Hugh Laurie but by the end like in episode four I sobbed multiple times just looking at his face mm -hmm. 
Like, he he crushed it. Absolutely crushed it. Like, have not seen Hugh Laurie in this great of a performance in, like, a long time. But, mm-hmm. yeah, Mark Ruffalo did not work for me. I agree that, like, the, you know, the the compassion that he brings to that earlier timeline when he's just got a blind daughter and he's raising her by himself and he's like trying to teach her how to move through a city and he's blah 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 that softness is appropriate you know what i don't see mark ruffalo as a fucking resistance fighter Mm -mm. never he could not sell that to the point where i was like immediately in my notes when she's like i haven't seen you in one year or whatever I was like, he's dead. <laughs> like, yeah. If you would have put anybody else in that role, I would have been like, okay, you know, maybe there's a chance. Maybe he's in prison, whatever. I was like, as soon as it was Mark Ruffalo, I was like, there's no way he's dead. He's been dead the whole time. <laughs> like, 100%. 100% yeah. could not sell it to me. Yeah. So I think, I think that casting misstep, I think it sucks because the potential is there for it to be, you know to have that sort of like perfect cast and like yeah i maybe the problem the other issue i had with it though is that they had the british accent like why i why? don't understand yeah we're when in france got, like french actors you've got german actors playing the like big german roles which was wonderful but they're like why couldn't it be subtitled french like i'd still watch it you know yeah why is or it just british or accent? if it's in english that's fine but just have french actors totally speaking english yeah um so no i thought so i thought there were some things about it that i really liked i didn't realize i couldn't figure out the music at first and then i saw that it was james newton howard and i was like okay that's why it makes sense to me uh because he's a phenomenal 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 composer um and i thought the tonally the music and the cinematography was like wonderful Mm -hmm. like it was very well i think yeah i think it was very well constructed Mm-hmm. But I think the story, like you say, the story and the pacing, I think, are a little bit off. Yeah. The tone was all over the place. Like, it's hard when you're juxtaposing the casual violence and, like, casual cruelty of Nazis with the next scene being, you know, a dad gently navigating the town with his daughter. Mm-hmm. Like, tonally to go from that to that is really tough and hard for someone especially in the first episode like I'd say put that you know other stuff not the casual cruelty the like soft stuff put it in the second episode when we're like already invested in these people living through a terrible time right like the the structure of those two scenes back to back in this visual sphere did not work yeah, whereas in the book it does work, right? Because like yeah. I remember when I read it, and I remember like, and when and we've talked about it, that the structure of the novel, it the two different storylines between uh, Marie Laure and and Werner, like the way that their stories kind of spiral together, right? Mm-hmm. So like it moves forward, and then you have some flashbacks, and it moves forward, and you have some flashbacks. So each one of them is sort of spiraling, and then their lines are just getting closer and closer and closer together. Yeah, uh, as as the story, and I mean they're they're already connected from the beginning, and then you find out why, and it's and it, it's a really quite a beautiful thing. But the narrative structure of the novel works really well, 
to be able mm-hmm. to go back and forth between those two things because you get that juxtaposition. Yeah. Um, and but you also get the length of sitting with it for a couple pages and visualizing, and you're you're spending the time with each transition, right? Whereas yes. in the show, it's so stark that it just like it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Yeah, it was. Uh, the, yeah, and 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 the thing is, though, it could have worked because yeah. I think I think maybe with a little bit more time. Maybe mm-hmm. another episode or two would have worked. But also in the time constraint that they had, there are ways, I think, that you can make the visual transition and use, like, your use your background music, use, like, lighting and all of those sorts of cues to sort of mm-hmm. shift that tone and make it feel a little bit less jarring. Yeah. Or even just use, you know, some color theory. Like, everything... Like, it was gorgeous, but even the stuff when... Even the timeline in, you know, quote-unquote, the present, it wasn't as grim as it could have been. It was often at nighttime, understandable, but there's also too much color, too much brightness. Like, if you're really going to juxtapose those two, I think you just have to crank it up in both directions. But I thought episode two and episode three was my favorite one. I think it hit the tone correctly mm-hmm. um yeah I think the third one was the best one the first episode I was like the first <sighs> it, it required so much more world building than it gave yes I think is the problem because it, it sort of it's one of those things where like the book does the same thing and the book j- drops you into the action right in the middle like you're mm-hmm. you, the very first um the very first chapter in the book is when like the leaflets are dropping and it's like the the chapter is like nine lines long like it's incredible mm-hmm. and it's so powerful and the 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 visual in the in the miniseries starts that way mm-hmm. but you don't get the same for whatever reason they're not able to like get the same kind of like atmosphere out of it yeah and you know what? I straight up think it was the writing. Okay. There was so much... I'm trying to think of the correct word to describe it. It's not necessarily pedantic, but the writing of this show, especially in episode one, thinks its audience is a fucking idiot. Because she's obviously broadcasting. She puts a secret message in the radio to signal to her uncle that she needs to see him. And the first thing he says when he sees her is, you're still broadcasting? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, that's how you got the fucking message. You're Mm -hmm. the one telling me to broadcast things. And he says, essentially, you're broadcasting in code. Remember, like you are doing the work of the resistance. And when he said that, it was said on just this sort of blasé, but also like shoving it down your throat way that it felt like the level of somehow Palpatine returned. (laughs) You know what? Yeah, a little bit. It felt exactly that same way to me where I was like, it would be better if you didn't slip that in in the first episode to slap your audience across the face as if we don't know that her broadcasting is dangerous right right like and 
we already have this narrative of the German, um, what was his position? Signals, I guess? Mm-hmm. Searching for her. Like, we yes. already know that. He's operating the radio in the first sentence, and we see how he's struggling to do this job. We don't need to know that also in episode one. Like, it doesn't It doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, this, the stakes are low, considering. Yeah, but they're also, like, stacked on top, stacked on top, stacked on top of that first episode. Where you're mm-hmm. right, it just, like, it tries to do so much at the front. When it's just like, just tell me what world these people are living in and how they're living, right? Like, yeah. you've got people hanging out the windows saying... You Nazi bastards won't let us out of the city. It's like, at this point, would they be shouting that? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't they be fucking afraid for their goddamn lives? So here's what I think. This is is where I think this comes from. And I, I, I could be wrong. But I feel like there's an assumption from people who create, um, you know, like visual media out of literature Mm -hmm. that people aren't reading anymore. Yes. Right? And I think back, like... I, so I think, like, even we watched in my... Uh, one of my English classes, we read Persuasion by Jane Austen. And so we watched the BBC version from 2007. And then we watched some clips of the Netflix version with Dakota Johnson. And mm-hmm. if you've never read the book, the Netflix version is probably fine. Um, yeah. But it misses so much of the nuance of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but the assumption, I think, there is that people aren't going to sit and read the book, so we might as well make it, like, fun and lighthearted and all of these sorts of things. And I think this is kind of the same thing. I think the assumption is, is that people aren't reading and maybe people don't know the history and the background and sort of the context. And so what would have made maybe more sense than to, like, be so heavy-handed about some of that stuff is to give maybe the first do like they did in in uh, like Zack Snyder did I'm, I'm gonna praise Zack Snyder here for a minute I feel gross wow in Watchmen where he took oh, that 12 yes. part graphic novel yeah. and took the first part and turned it into a four minute musical montage yeah exactly 100% and something like that that gives you then all of the context yeah without having to do a whole bunch of exposition then I think it eliminates the need for a lot of that because then at the very very end of episode four there's like actual footage of people like rebuilding the city and digging yeah. out of the rubble so there has to be some footage somewhere mm-hmm. you know and um, so there there yeah. could have been ways to build context without it being quite so yeah like quite so heavy-handed and like obvious or even like remove that scene altogether and the visual audience it would be so much more satisfying if you find out that they're part of the resistance when they have that conversation with Mark Ruffalo and Hugh Laurie when they like reveal it to him mm-hmm. because at that point it takes away the drama of those moments because you're like yeah we already know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like we already know we've known this whole time we know that the dad's probably dead doing this work because you've told us seven times already. Like, yeah. it takes away the tension of what they were trying to accomplish there. And even, I think, lessens the tragedy of it, right? Because we're given, 
I don't know if you're smart, you're like, well, she saw her uncle and she hasn't seen her dad in a year, so I think we know what's up. Yes. And also, yes. World War II stuff is so ubiquitous. We all know the Nazis are fucking awful. Like, yeah. we know that living under the occupation of the Nazis was not a cool time. Yeah, and I, I think, yeah, and, and I think the other problem, too, is that, um, and the book, again, doesn't have the same issue. I think because mm-hmm. your protagonist is ultimately a teenager. Yes. Right? And, like, there's something very, and I think the reason why the discussion about her father, like, yes, if you've watched, if you've read anything or watched anything, you know her dad's probably dead right off the mm-hmm. hop. Like, that's that's a pretty easy one to figure out because, yes, it's her uncle who comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, but for her, she's living through this by herself right and trying to stay alive ultimately and she keeps up this broadcast to like keep in contact as best that she can and she's you know a member of the resistance but she's also broadcasting so her father can hear her and all these sorts of things and there's like a really lovely earnestness that comes with that Mm -hmm. um and i think that like i think that needs to be there because otherwise i think the whole production falls completely flat if you don't have her hopefulness that she will someday be reunited with her father if that's not there then like what's the point of telling the story totally a hundred percent i a hundred percent agree i just had a revelation though doesn't this feel like a young adult miniseries kind of like it feels sanitized yes i think that's my whole issue with it and why the tone is so tricky yeah because you've got yeah, it's just is yeah, whatever. We can move on about that. Um what I would love to hear is the things you loved about it. Um okay, I'm going to start with something that might be controversial. I liked how they changed the ending. Oh, interesting. Do tell. So and I it's only I so I watched it and then I went and I read, read some stuff about it immediately cuz I was like I'm curious to know about some of these choices. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons so in the end of the novel spoilers obviously I guess um in the end of the novel um we know for sure that Werner's dead. Like mm-hmm. he is killed. And there it is that is there's no way around this one. At the end of the miniseries we don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. He surrenders to the Americans. He gets like heckled basically by the townspeople um and then that's the last that we see of him we don't have anything more um but what happens in the novel that i think or in the the miniseries that i liked and the reason that i think this is really interesting is the director talked you know they had some different options here for the end here and um the actress what's her name sorry this feels really bad area yeah so she is blind Mm-hmm. Right, and she's so in in real life she's blind. And one of the things that she said to the director when they were talking about what to do with this ending, she liked the idea that they share this like this kiss and whatnot because she says that we are never the object of romantic affection. Oh, that's lovely. And so I kind of like that they made that choice, yeah. Because it shows for a couple of reasons, but it shows that like the that these two kids basically because that's what they mm-hmm. are as children. They're so mm-hmm. young. Um, that they find this, like, I don't know, they find this, like, hope within all of this and that mm-hmm. it transcends, it that it transcends, you know, the fact that they're on different sides and he is, you know, he's a Nazi and she's on the side of the resistance and, like, all of these things and they're able to sort of look at that and, and say, 
you know, that it's not that important and that they have this connection mm-hmm. um, through the professor and through that. So I liked that change in the ending. And I think it makes for a better ending for something that you see on screen. It's slightly less tragic. Yes, I guess so. When you've already got a ton of tragedy in the book that you're kind of, even if it's not like people dying, you see people go through really tragic scenarios over and over again, especially, ugh, Werner, tough life. Oh, the worst. All of his scenes, though, I was just like, I've got, (laughs) Louis is a star over and over and over Mm -hmm. in my notes. Like, he's just, he's such an incredible actor. And that I especially loved every scene with his sister, Yuda. Like, Mm -hmm. when she is begging him to keep her inside of his soul when he is about to like be essentially conscripted and forced into this awful institute to get Mm -hmm. trained up to be a soldier the anguish that they had as like the only two people in the world connected to each other Mm -hmm. oh my god and when he's on the radio at the end and he says, my dear sister, Utah, I sobbed, Megan. Oh, me too. And she's hugging the radio. And it's like, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Not, not knowing. And having all these letters, you know that he's writing these sanitized letters back home. <laughs> he, he's not telling her how he's being terribly abused physically and probably sexually based on that scene that we saw and he's done terrible things and seen horrible things and she's just at home waiting hoping Mm -hmm. in an orphanage for her brother and all of a sudden to just hear his voice on the radio oh my god well and in and so in that way like that's one of the things about the the change in the ending that like I'm not mad about because she gets so so uh Marie-Laure doesn't get that catharsis because she finds out that her father's dead and Etienne dies and and whatever so the only person that she has and Madame Manek is dead so like the only person she has left in the world is this German soldier yeah um and so I like so because of that because we don't know for sure what happens to him Mm -hmm. uh we can you know we can make the assumption that he's still alive and so then like Yuta sort of gets that payoff where the person that she loves most of the world comes back to her. Absolutely. It was just like, uh, it was so poignant. And for it to be like the, the mechanism of his mental freedom being the way in which he sends this love to his sister after it was like always a point of conflict between them. Like, oh my God, it was so you know who also is a fucking star? Ed Skrine. Mm-hmm. He was fantastic in the very little we saw of him. Did you also get the vibe that his wife was, like, sexually aroused by this young boy fixing the radio and her husband, like, with this power play over him? Did you pick that up as well? Yeah, there was, there was an undertone there for sure. That was very bizarre. And I don't know what that was trying to accomplish in terms of the very, like, limited time you have for this miniseries. Yeah, yeah. well, and it was funny, too, because when I... So my thought about that, I don't know if you've 
either read the book, the reader, or seen the movie. Um, I but, think I've seen the movie. Yeah, with Kate Winslet, and yeah. uh, and it, to me, like that was it was that same kind of like thing, mm-hmm. right? Where there was just this, and and I don't know if it's like it had the same feeling to me. Like I don't know if it's like this sort of despair of everything that's going on, that like there's this, you know heightened sexual yeah like I'm not sure but that's the feeling I got out of the reader as well and I was just sort of like I don't get this yeah like I don't understand where this is coming from and why and especially in this it was very bizarre because yeah her husband is like there right like he's not gone in any way so yeah I found that whole thing to be very um I found that to be very like I don't want to say out of place because I don't think it was, but it was just an, I felt like maybe a bit of an odd choice. Yeah. Especially when it like, it's of no consequence to the story of these two children, essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. In World War II. Like you see the inflated sense of power and the narcissism of, of the Nazis through the Von Rumpel character, right? Like, he kills callously just to find out where this jewel is. Mm-hmm. Like, he's got... He's got nobody above him and nobody below him. He's essentially a one-man execution squad doing whatever the fuck he wants with no repercussions, right? Like, we've already got that aspect of who the Nazis are in this character. It seemed, yeah, it just seemed bizarre. However, every time Ed Scrine was on screen, I was like, okay, I'm scared now. <laughs> yeah, I know, he's terrifying. <laughs> he's a terrifying guy. Like, absolutely, absolutely <laughs> terrifying. Did you also think that the commandant of the school that Warner went to would be emphasized more? Like, based on that conversation he has with Schmidt, the other guy who gets assigned to him after his unit mm-hmm. is killed, and he's like, I still correspond with the Commandant. And then from there, you see in flashbacks his experience through that institute, and I thought that was going to be more important, but all it is is just shows you how beaten down Werner is. Yeah. Or I guess maybe how hmm. Yeah, it just felt weird that you like only see the commandant twice and there's really no personal interaction between him and Warner, even if he had the audacity to say that, even if it was a lie to this guy. It just felt yeah. Again it felt bizarre. Yeah, it was a little bit it was a little bit strange. Um because just because of how harrowing his time was there, that mm-hmm. like, yeah, um, yeah, I feel like, um, I feel like they could have done something different, maybe with that, and sort of use that a little bit, you know, I'll, I'll use that relationship and that like past of his differently. Well, um, if he's in the, going in the to, book, like... there's just so much more nuance with him, right? Like he, yes. when he at first he like. I don't want to say, I can't, because we miss out on this. Whereas, like, when he first is uh, taken away from the orphanage, like, he realizes sort of, like, the material gains that he's made Mm -hmm. as a member of uh, the Nazi party and those sorts of things and how life is better for him. 
Yeah. And then and then the bad things start to happen. Whereas mm-hmm. here we're already kind of we don't get that, so we're already in with him like in the bad things. Yeah. And so he's already like actively working against the orders that he's been given. Totally. And I think that really reinforces the way that they've drawn this character in the show who is so innocent. Like, he, he, all he cares about is, like, you know, he, I think he says, does he say truth a lot? About, like, what the professor... Mm-hmm. like open your eyes and see truth something like that i can't remember what the exact quote is but he's he's not necessarily i wouldn't say he's idealistic like he's not anti nazi per se he's just anti war yes in the in the mini series would you agree with that yeah i think that's fair okay yeah and the they've and he's not necessarily an idealist. He's just naive and innocent and then damaged. But the things that he does once he's like, once he hears her on the radio on this shortwave, on the same shortwave he listened to, you know, all through a boy that gave him hope and made him feel wonder or whatever, then he really starts to do terrible things to preserve that for somebody Mm -hmm. else right like he's such an interesting character that it's really tricky to like pin him down and like pin down his motivations for sure well i think there's part of him like that is keeping like that hope and that sort of innocence of youth alive yes right and in doing so because she's broadcasting on that same shortwave channel Mm-hmm. Like, that's where that comes from for him. So he's working so hard to sort of keep that innocence alive because it keeps him close, you know, to the professor, but also, like, to his sister. And yes. to sort of that, that togetherness and that, that, that the only family that he's got, right? And to so the past, pretty much. To the past, yeah. yeah. And, and where things maybe weren't great in the orphanage, but mm-hmm. they weren't this bad, right? And so there's sort of that, like, this is what life could be, mm-hmm. you know, without all of this. And I think it's very much, it makes me think of, in a way, he doesn't quite do it. He doesn't dissociate the same way. But, you know, in Horses of the Night by Margaret Lawrence, when Chris writes Vanessa that letter and he talks about how he had, like, distanced himself from the unbearability of battle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is his way of doing that. Like, it's the same thing. He's got this thing that he can hold on to that brings him back into yeah. the past, back to when times were better and a little bit happier and a little bit less chaotic and whatever. And so he holds on to that. And so then, yeah, he does, he starts to commit atrocities, essentially, in the name to of protecting yeah. that ideal. Mm-hmm. I just loved it when he killed his superior officer. Oh, me too. That was great. And then you see Hugh Laurie roll up on a motorbike with a machine gun. I was like, this is it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what I wanted the whole time, you know? Like, there was, I think the, uh, and I, I, it's so long since I read the book, I can't quite remember. But the uh, just like that, ca- seeing that casual violence and that casual cruelty that the Nazis perpetrated being flipped on them. It's just always so satisfying, isn't it? Oh, It feels yes. great. It does. 
It really, really does. Well, I'm, it's really interesting. I'm looking at different, like, just, like, uh, when I Googled, like, reviews of it. Mm-hmm. And, like, the New York Times is, like, it's... Um, uh, the Guardian says it's a terrible mess. Mm-hmm. And the Variety magazine says that the Netflix adaptation falls flat. Mm-hmm. The New York Times uh, says... I'm not sure. A lot about unevenness in tone, I think, is what I read Probably. a lot. But then NPR is like, it's heartwarming. <laughs> and I was like, NPR, what are you talking about? I don't yeah. know if it's heartwarming. But it does... I think the thing that it does the best is hold on to that hopefulness and that like youthfulness of those two characters. Yeah. And sort of allows for them to have... Um, to have the hope that things will get better. So like for, you know, being in Samalo and having, knowing that the Americans are coming, mm-hmm. right. means that if the Americans are coming, the Germans are leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are a German, knowing that the Americans are coming, it means that things are over for you. Yeah. Um, but for him, he, because of the, how he's protecting the broadcast and how he's trying to make sure that people don't find her. Mm-hmm that's his way sort of of like in a way hoping that you know he won't be caught up at the end of it all yeah and he seems honestly unconcerned about the americans coming like Mm -hmm. he's he's faking doing his job pretty well (laughs) like he's yeah slowly assassinating people assigned to his unit (laughs) like he he's also stalling for time but not necessarily in a way that is self-preservation whatsoever like Mm -hmm. it seems like it's it's not about him at all right like he's it's really interesting to think of like what his sense of self is because it seems like he has no sense of self-preservation and is yeah he's doing it for other people yeah, only for other people. And it seems like that's the same with Marie. Like, throughout my notes, I have a lot of instances where I'm like, she should be afraid. Like, she should be scared. Mm-hmm. And she's contrasted with Hugh Laurie's character, who is haunted by the past and hasn't gone outside in 18 years or whatever. And at the end, it becomes this trope of, like, she should have everything to be afraid of because she's blind and because she cannot comprehend the world like we can. And so that is, in and of itself, something that could cause someone fear. And she's got no fear whatsoever. And Mm -hmm. he, who is totally capable, is crippled with fear. And I thought that was interesting i don't quite think they nailed it though i think hugh laurie nailed it but i'm not really into this trope of like (sighs) young people have some sort of wisdom and knowledge that people who have lived and experienced life don't you know like he Mm -hmm. needed her to be able to see once again, that he has purpose whatsoever. And it's like, I don't know if a teen at that point in her life could be inspiring to an old man. You know what right. I mean? 
like there's you've you read the, well the thing yeah maybe stuff. not but the thing there too is like potentially and this is just sort of is maybe the reason that she convinces him to go outside again or he asks you know like that whole mm-hmm. that scene which i thought was kind of kind of sweet when he when he told her to ask, ask again. him again yeah oh i saw that i thought that was very lovely yeah um i i don't know if i don't know if i don't think he i think he's doing it for her right to remind her that that things are you know the world is still there yeah that's fair um because for the longest time that was her father's job right and i think i think etienne knows that he's gone yeah i didn't think of it that way as if he knew that that's what I thought that the coded message was going to be. Not that the Americans were coming, but that Mark Ruffalo was dead. I thought that's mm-hmm. what he was reacting reacting to at first. Um, but, yeah. Hugh Laurie fucking. And when his sister said to him, looks like my little brother, when she gave mm-hmm. him his hat. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, these veteran actors just fucking killed it when like the recovery of the writing being so pedantic in the first episode and so slap you in the face this last episode just like fucking crushed me it shouldn't have considering how uneven it was but every scene with Hugh Laurie I could not look away he was so good mm-hmm. well and even like on his deathbed Right, mm-hmm. like right at the end there, when he tells uh, Werner to to go and save her, basically, mm-hmm. um, like you can see that he kind of realizes finally that, like you know, that this family that he has, whatever's left of it, and at this point, it's literally just her, mm-hmm. is important mm-hmm. and is worth is worth saving somehow. Um, and that there's only one person who's going to be able to do that because, because, and it's be, I mean, if she wasn't blind, this isn't a big issue because she can look after herself, mm-hmm. but the simple fact that she spent her entire life, like learning this, the city, the way that she has, right. And like the number of steps in this, and now the city is just raised to the ground. She is unable to navigate yeah. the way that she would have before. And he recognizes that. Totally. I think there was a nice sort of symmetry, too, for Hugh Laurie to look at Werner and, like, see himself. Someone who's, you know, disillusioned with war and seen such Mm -hmm. terrible things. And knowing that, you know, the different colors on your uniform don't really fucking mean anything at all at the end of the day. And for Werner to be, like, validated as a good man by his beloved professor before he Mm -hmm. dies was so Mm -hmm. heartbreaking to like have this connection that he's longed for and sought for and this like father figure that he imagined and can you imagine actually meet that person like just hear his voice and know oh that's Mm -hmm. him just like marie did and Mm -hmm. then in a matter of hours watch him die or watch him essentially sacrifice his life for you a stranger right like all of that is just so crushing to him but to have that like yeah that scene where he like praises werner and essentially validates that you're doing the right thing was so good 
Yeah, and and yeah, like you say, to have your like childhood hero essentially, mm-hmm. um, that be be the hero that you needed him to be. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, despite, exactly. And despite you know, and you know, they say like never meet your heroes. Well, in this case, mm-hmm. it was fine. But and despite the things that Werner has done, and despite the things that you know, the way that that his life has sort of gone, the professor still sees in him the like sort of intrinsic humanity behind all of it, mm-hmm. or just like um, sees him. Yeah. Right? Like, it, not someone who's of utility is brilliant with radios or a genius that could be used for the glorious thousand years of the Reich, you know, not just as an orphan, but just as, like, a man, a person, just trying mm-hmm. to do something with, like, compassion and humanity it was like, oh, those yeah. two together. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah, it was, that was really good. Um, and I think what was neat about it, too, was that when she's a child and she doesn't know who the professor is, mm-hmm. I think that's neat. And I mean, I, assuming her father does know who the professor is, obviously, right? And so, you know, but like just the message, it, the professor feels to me a lot like Mr. Dress Up or Mr. Rogers, you know, yes, in that yes. way that like the way that, that he's making this, he's, he's talking to kids, not at mm-hmm. them, but to them. To them, And yeah. trying to teach them sort of the ways of the world in this in this way that you know is accessible and friendly and kind and compassionate and all of these things knowing that it's like the kids and like you have to think too of the time that this is that this is happening when they are kids listening to him on the radio like you Mm got to think about what's going on in the world right like things are world war one yeah especially in germany things are great him listening to the professor there gives him that little bit of hope too. Yeah, and for, like, in thinking of the the exposure that a child would have to the type of, like, enlightened humanity that the professor is preaching out there would be, like, non-existent. Like, you're not going to get that in the orphanage, even though mm-hmm. it seemed like the, whatever, mother superior of the orphanage just, like, absolutely loved her the children that she was taking care care of it's like mm-hmm. your your life was pretty bleak like you don't have the capacity of we do of to consume whatever perspectives we'd like to or the capacity to, to seek them out right mm-hmm. like so to hear those things reliably all the time to transport you to a different place or time or even just it was so cute just seeing them wearing those old-timey headphones yeah yeah i was like oh i bet those things were heavy as shit (laughs) (laughs) probably so it's interesting because like that part of the of the show i think worked really well i think the part with with the kids always worked really well Mm -hmm. whether it was like them as young kids or you know as teenagers or whatever the part that i think that i i mean other than mark ruffalo his accent and whatever goes with that the things that i disliked the most actually i felt like the story of the The diamond diamond. (laughs) was so like it felt like it came from a different text yeah because there wasn't either there was just wasn't enough context for it and sort of Mm -hmm. understanding of it and Mm -hmm. it just felt so sloppy a hundred percent it was so that is a perfect way to describe it. Sloppy. 
Because and then what's his face? By the time he gets to the end, just before she kills him, he looks like the fucking penguin from Batman Returns. Yeah, he looks awful. And I was like, I don't understand what's happening to this man. Is it because he was, like, down in the sewers? I don't know. Like, it was just, there was something about it that I felt. Like, it was just very messy. Yeah. If you would have taken that storyline out of this book, it's, it, it, not out of this book, out of this miniseries, it would have worked so much better, I think. Because it's essentially a red herring. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't matter at all. The story could be about a man and his blind daughter who fled Paris, who took part in the resistance of a Nazi-occupied part of France, and who the daughter took up the mantle of that as the other people, you know, passed away, whatever. That is a powerful story in and of itself. This diamond business was irrelevant. In the yeah, in the way that this miniseries was constructed, the diamond was not important. No, especially because the it didn't even see like seem like the model was important at all either. Mm-hmm. Like that, those two things were so streamlined in the miniseries that was like Mm -hmm. you kept asking yourself like why does this matter and like the lines i wrote them down when they had the scenes about like the stone that (laughs) mark ruffalo's justifying stealing the stone and the line he says is the kind of stone that attracts mad men i was like well that's never been said by anyone ever Mm -hmm. and then their justification of it's important that the Nazis don't get it because it's a French stone and we are the people of France. And I was like, this stone is from some fucking overseas French Mm -hmm. colonial territory. Like, you don't need the symbolism of this stone in this story. You really don't. Mm -hmm. Well, and I remember in the book when the her model got crushed mm-hmm. it was devastating yeah and it would it did not have the same gravitas in this no there was no weight to it whatsoever even him like choosing to hide the stone in there i was like okay whatever who fucking cares mm-hmm. right like it you know obviously it's gonna get crushed and found once he places it in there, like that would have been another scene, just like the one with uh, Uncle Etienne telling her in the first episode, you're working for the resistance. You're broadcasting coded messages. Like that's another thing that could have waited to the very, 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 very end to reveal, to have mm-hmm. the impact that you're trying to establish. Mm-hmm. Cause otherwise you already know it's going to happen. It's too early. So the structure Mm -hmm. of it didn't make sense to me. Yeah, and it just, yeah, there was something about the way that that, it didn't have, and again, maybe it just needed more time. Maybe they needed Mm -hmm. two more episodes to really flesh this out because, like, I'm looking at the book and the the length of the book Mm -hmm. and how much time they devoted to certain things. Like, it's 500, it's over 500 pages, and Mm -hmm. they took 500 pages and turned it into 
four hours of television. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like, and I mean, this is maybe an unfair comparison because it was so well done, but, like, the first book in the Last Kingdom series is, like, 350 pages, and it got five episodes. Mm-hmm. So, like, there, there's ways to do it, and I just feel like they, they missed out because I think the story of the gem... I think is important in the novel and the way that it's structured because of the model, because of all of those other things. Mm-hmm. And because her father is given the gem or one of three replicas, right? Like there's three replicas made and it's to protect. Um, if, you know, the replicas are found out, hopefully that means the original will be. Oh my God. See, I didn't even remember that. That should have been in the film. Yes. It was yes. not. And so, so she's got, I mean, they have the original. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but when like the so all of that, I think the story of that is really important. But I also think that the story of the gem and when you look at the model of the city and all that kind of stuff, that is like that is an act of love from mm-hmm. a father to a daughter. And I feel like they missed a really important opportunity to explore that just a little bit more. Absolutely. As like his legacy that he's leaving her with. Yes. Throw throw a scene in there like after he leaves or he's been gone with her just like, you know, practicing moving throughout the town with her fingers, doing all the counting or mm-hmm. going through the town and trying to traverse and getting, you know, really upset about how her father's not there to do this with her. Like there's mm-hmm. there was there was quite a few pieces of that missing you're absolutely right because when it crashes you don't care at all really and again how much better would it be with Jean Dujardin Mm -hmm. (laughs) as the father Mm -hmm. (sighs) yeah the whole British accent thing really annoys me like I don't understand why they had to speak with a British accent (sighs) yeah it was it was so clearly done for an American audience Mm-hmm. Like, really, really sanitized, really toned down to, like, a- the absolute detriment of mm-hmm. so many different elements of the story. It's such a mm-hmm. shame. Well, what's really interesting, too, if I remember correctly in the book, when um, he comes looking for the Sea of Flames, like, for the diamond. I think, she, you know, he asks, like, what did your father leave you? And she's just like, oh, just a dumb model, which is, mm-hmm. of course where it is um but you know and he leaves like it's not it's not even a big deal yeah basically um which i think is really really interesting um and i think that like i think von rumpel he like realizes that she probably lied to him like once the battle begins once the americans get there but Mm -hmm. it's like that first confrontation is just so like yeah it's just a model and he's like oh okay i guess it's not here which is fine Mm-hmm. You know, because why would you expect that a locksmith from a museum would leave you a, would leave something like that? You know, um, anyway, I felt like the whole thing I find really. Um, yeah, there was just there was something about that. Because, well, that works when you've got the dramatic irony payoff later. Mm-hmm. Right. Of her of her also not knowing but as the audience, you the only tension you get is when you don't know that the diamond's in there yet. And the strange man counting his steps, you know, maybe he's mm-hmm. sending coded message, yada, yada. It's just like all of that was so blasé 
that it didn't have that impact whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it just, yeah, there was, th- that part of it was really bumpy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it turned him into, like, a cartoon villain almost. Yeah, 100%. Looking for the, looking for, it was like, it was like in freaking Avatar, like, looking for the unobtainium. Like, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Where it's like it's it's important enough to the story that I guess it needs to be there, but it also like it turned it into essentially, like, you know, a parody. Yeah, like this story doesn't need that villain. The villain is the overarching suffocating presence of war, right? Yeah. Like, and if you need, and if you need it to be slightly more on the nose, the villain is the Nazis. A hundred percent. Or the villain is, you know, Werner's superior officer and time, right? Mm-hmm. The time ticking down. You've got this. T- oh my God. How good would Christopher Nolan have made this? So he would have made it great. Like with, that's what was missing is that tension between the U.S. soldiers coming with time ticking down with the frustration of the commanding officer Mm-hmm. And essentially, her capacity to stay alive, because she's pretty much starving, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think that was really... Or the townsfolk pretty much are starving, too. Yeah. And that, like, desperation, I don't think, comes through. Other no. than her secret... Oysters are so disgusting. Oysters are awful. They're, yeah, they're vile. I think Christopher Nolan could have turned this into a three-hour movie just fine. Yeah, 100%. He might have been, he might be the only person, but like I think he could have turned it into a 3-hour movie because yes, he would have figured out a way to take all of those like highly tense moments and like shrink them mm-hmm. but keep the tension really high. Yes. And that's what it was missing was the tension. And I thought like James Newton Howard is a fine composer. I think he's done good things, but the score was too Hmm. What's the right word for this? The too nostalgic. Was, I was going to say it was almost too romantic. Yes, too romantic and too nostalgic. Of like, oh, the good old days when things were simpler in the 1940s. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah. Well, and you know what? It's funny as we've been talking about this. The thing that I'm it brings me back to is I think... If we take out the story of the diamond and, like, just keep the rest of it in. Because at the end of the day, she's a member of the resistance and the Nazis were trying to quell the resistance. So, like, that's high enough stakes. We don't need to have this precious gem kicking around either. Absolutely. And if then they alter her father's story because he's got to leave because of, you know, his role in the resistance. Mm Mm-hmm. Without having to worry about the diamond. And I mean, whatever. He's getting stuff like artifacts from the museum to safety. So that's like a reason enough for him to be gone, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good enough. Um, it reminds me of how I felt about the movie Pearl Harbor. That I think Pearl Harbor told a pretty good war story. And I think it told a pretty good wartime love story. But then when you put the two of them together, it did not do a great job of either one. Yeah. And this is kind of what I feel. I think if you take the story of the diamond out and you sort of like tighten up some of the narrative that exists um, and enhance some of that tension and do some of the things that we've talked about, I think they could have had a really tight like four hour miniseries here that would have been really, really well done. But I think the bits with the diamond and how it turns, you know, uh, Von Rumpel into like this like 
cartoon, know, cartoonish yeah, right. figure. Mm-hmm. I think it takes away from all of the rest of the stuff. Yes, that absolutely. This could have been a hundred percent, and I think like reduces Werner's character because he, if he knows, you know, the com- commander saying like they could be transmitting messages, blah blah mm-hmm. blah blah blah. Werner doesn't know, doesn't care. No. Right? Like, that influences his story of not necessarily protecting the resistance. It's not about the resistance whatsoever to him. And for Marie, it really isn't about that for her either. Like, she's doing it, but Mm -hmm. I don't think she really... It's more for her about her... Like, her story is smaller. It's about her uncle... It's about her aunt. It's about her dad. It's about her. Like, her world is small Mm -hmm. that she cares about. Warner's world that he cares about is really big. And that's that, like, nice tension between the two. But if you've got this third storyline, I think that diminishes Warner's character whatsoever. Because then Mm -hmm. he's caught up in it, too. And at the end, he's like, oh, there's a fucking diamond on the floor. What the fuck's that about? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like well, yeah, and it's. That I mean, I like be a bigger deal. I did like the change there, though, because at the end in the novel he kills Von Rumpel, and in this one she gets she him, does. and I yeah. I liked that. Yeah, um, I like that little change, and then she hears like the, the diamond thud on the floor. Yeah, and tells him not to touch it mm-hmm. because I think she knows that there's probably no such thing as a curse. Yeah, um, but she's not ready to take any chances. Mm-hmm. And so then I like that scene there after he's gone where she picks it up with the cloth. Yeah. And sort of has to like, you know, she's like fumbling because it's unfamiliar, right? Because her model's on the floor and there's a dead body in the way and all these things. So she's, this is not her house where she's like able to sort of freely move. She has to kind of like fumble mm-hmm. her way around this. And I kind of liked that, mm-hmm. that in order to sort of complete this, that, that she throws this thing into, um, into the sea, which I think she does in the book differently. But it still, it goes down into the grotto, I think, and then out to sea is sort of her intention. Which, again, is like, you know, what was it all for? It mm-hmm. clearly, you know, you can't, you can't justify at that point that it is France, right? We're doing this for the mm-hmm. stone. The stone represents France. Like, none of that catches up in the end. No, but if, but if you look at it from her perspective, maybe, because she learns about this and her father doesn't really want to talk about it, but mm-hmm. clearly he believes that the stone is and cursed. I mean, she, yeah. is cursed. And then she hears this from Von Rumpel that like the stone is cursed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know that she necessarily believes that it's cursed, but she's also not willing to take a chance. Yeah. Right. And I think that for her, it's more important. You know, the town has been liberated. The Americans are there. Everything is happy. Um, and so I think for her, this is like the closure on all of that. Yeah. And even if the stone isn't actually cursed, her tossing it into the ocean means that the curse is lifted. Yeah. From her, essentially. Right. And like, I'm, that's okay with me in that sort of, cause she's still, she's still a child. Like she's 16 years old. Yeah. Right? She's not a fully formed adult. And so I feel like it's okay that she believes that that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, her father's dead, her uncle's dead, her mother's dead, her aunt is dead. Yeah. Right? Every her every person that she's cared about in her life, in her entire life, is gone. Yes. And if her father believed that the stone was at the root of that, 
then, then it's, it's important okay enough to, to yeah yeah to check but then again that would have been i think more powerful if you would have seen what von rumpel is sick with other than him mm-hmm. just saying like oh i've got got to take my morphine and my whatever and then mark ruffalo in the interrogation is like you smell like a sick man and it's just like he's a fucking locksmith like Mm -hmm. yeah like he's not a he's not a professor he's not a curator he's not he's not a gemologist he's no right like the the buy-in that he has for this is too much and we as an audience don't know why so, yeah, yeah, because we get the hint about the gem, right? Mm-hmm. We get a little bit of hints of it, especially when it shows uh, her as, as a child, right? As, like, the six-year-old or whatever. Yeah, but there's and he hesitates. And, saying, and he hesitates and won't yeah. tell her about it and stuff. So, like, we obviously... And I say this to my kids all the time. I'm like, well, how do we know this? I'm like, we've all read books. We've all watched movies. We've all, like, know how things... How stories get told. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those things. It's very clear that this is a touchy subject. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to talk about it. And that's fine. He doesn't have to talk about it. And she's only six. And he doesn't actually owe her an answer. Because she's only six years old. Um, But I think, you know, as the audience, we understand that he believes very strongly in the story about the gem. Yeah. And so if you're going to tell the story about the gem there at the beginning, then you have to do one of two things. You either have to tell the story and it has to kind of like be threaded through. Mm -hmm. uh, Or you don't tell it at all. And just leave it out completely. Yes, exactly. And honestly, <laughs> unfortunately, they chose neither. <laughs> yeah, they were like, hey, there's this thing. It's kind of important, but it's not important right now. But it's important at the end. And yeah, it just... And like, I like, like I say, I like the that sort of full circle for her where she's learned that it's cursed mm-hmm. and not to touch it. And so she doesn't touch it and tosses it into the ocean and that's fine. I like that, but I don't think that gives the payoff from the experience that we've had with the gem before. No, no, not at all. It doesn't nearly have the weight that it should. And it feels a lot like Rose dumping the heart of the ocean back into the ocean. Yeah. When you're just like, Oh no, it's worth a lot of money. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty much all you care about. Right. Think of the reconstruction. (laughs) Yeah. Think of post-war austerity, please. I'm like, I'm going to be on rations for the next 10 years. If this is about France, think about all of the things that that diamond could have bought, you know, like. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So it's interesting. I looked at the Rotten Tomatoes. 23%. (laughs) No, No, but but here, this is, here's, here's my argument then. Mm -hmm. Here's my, here's my argument about this. Rotten Tomatoes. That's a critic thing. Oh, 24%. It's gone up 1% since I looked like half an hour ago. Um, but uh, People on mm-hmm. IMDb, it's 7.7 out of 10. Oh, really? But v- Yeah, but for viewers, it's like 92% liked it. I mean, there's a lot to like. Yeah. I think we've said that over and over. Like, the cast, except for one, is incredible. And it looks amazing. It mm-hmm. it looks wonderful the music is okay like both of us had real emotional moments Mm -hmm. watching it right like I think there's a lot to say that is interesting and it's a Mm -hmm. story that's a little bit different from the overwhelming ubiquitous amount of World War II fiction out right now right like yes it it says something 
slightly it's it's it tells a different type of story about a different type of people right like yes so it's i think it's valuable to see or read i'd say read the book if this is your first introduction to louis hoffman fuck please watch dark it's so Oh, afterwards I was like, God, I gotta do a rewatch. Like, it's just, he's incredible. He's an incredible actor. He's the German George McKay, top to bottom. Oh, 100%. And it was just so funny. Like, that was what I was thinking as I was watching. Maybe not so much in the first episode, but in the second, for sure. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh yeah, the two of them need to be in something together. Absolutely. Like, he's just, he's got it. That's the thing. It's like, every time... Mark Ruffalo was saying something, even if it was like, you know, a really emotional character and he was acting his ass off. I was like, unfortunately, Mark, this kid is better than you. Like Mm -hmm. he's, he's got it. And when he and Hugh Laurie were together in those scenes or Ed Skrine even, I was like, these, these guys are fucking pros. Like they're acting the shit out of this and selling it Mm -hmm. to the point where at the end we're sobbing. Whereas I couldn't, didn't give two shits when Mark Ruffalo's head got blown up. Like <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. So interestingly enough, I'm just reading something uh, on Esquire about this, um, about the changes. Mm-hmm. And so the director, uh, it said, like, this, the show itself, obviously, it ends with her throwing the diamond into the ocean. Um, but there were, like, a series of epilogues that they filmed that they then decided not to use, and one of them included Werner's death. But here's what the explanation is. Though it is far from a happy ending, I wanted to end with a promise of hope, and there were some bleak, deeply unsettling scenes laid in the book that we didn't include in the show. But again, Anthony, the author, has turned out to be so happy with the show that he's agreed with that choice. So, I mean, at the end of the day, if the author is okay with the adaptation of the work, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be so judgy about it. I don't know. But it was it's interesting that they decided to end it on that slightly more hopeful note. Mm-hmm. And like and more ambiguous note, ultimately. Was that sorry? Was that Stephen Knight that quotes from? No, that's uh, Sean Levy, so the director. Levy. Yeah, because like looking at Stephen Knight's body of work is so uneven. It's crazy. There's stuff that's like so good in it, and stuff that's so fucking awful. <laughs> Just like, oh wow, okay, we've got interesting. Honestly, though, I like. Sean Levy, he makes things that are really bright and shiny and, like, very Hollywood. I know that he was, like, a big part of Stranger Things, but that felt, like, unusual for him. Like, mm-hmm. this is very much Night at the Museum World War Two. You know what I mean? Like, it's... Yes. But, like, yeah. It, I was it's looking, made you're right. for an audience and not necessarily for the art, I think. Mm-hmm. You're right, though. Like, yeah, Stephen Knight, like, Peaky Blinders and Taboo and this and... Uh, Eastern, Eastern Promises. Promises, which is like a fucking great movie. I haven't watched that in a long time. Um, yeah, and then some yeah, real uneven boners. Yeah, <laughs> some yeah, real boners some... on this list. Absolutely, absolutely uh, terrible, terrible things. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad that somebody made it. I wish they had done better. Mm-hmm. This is one of those adaptations. Like, I'm not on the whole disappointed with it, but like the the potential existed. I think for much better and I'm this is not this is not the last kingdom or outlander you know season one where I was like yeah they absolutely hit it like this there's some definite missteps in this that I think I think it's unfortunate because they had such incredible source material to work from yeah especially when you've got 
you know, open admission that changes were made. And it's like, okay, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, that didn't help, right? That didn't help the art, like, overall. Mm -hmm. It's definitely an inferior product than it could have been, and that the book is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's, it's tricky. It's a tricky, it's a tricky thread here. And, yeah, like... Critics' consensus from Rotten Tomatoes has a bright cast, its potential is often snuffed out by a totally awkward blend of serious and silly. Could not agree more. Yep. That, that sounds about right. Yeah, there were moments where I was like, mm, that's dumb. I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, 100%. And it just felt very schlocky. Like, even at the end, um, or yeah, I think it's in episode four, maybe it's in episode three, when uh, they're asking Werner, like, how many people, he, men, women, and children he's killed. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I don't know. I felt, I like, I get the intention behind the scene, but I just, like, I hated it. It just mm-hmm. felt very, it felt very uncomfortable. Like, it was probably the most intense interrogation that took place in the entire show. And I don't know that it was, like, that the payoff was there for that either. No, it was wrong. Like, it was done, it was done wrong for sure. Because what I didn't understand is why they're, they were so panicked. Like, they came into that hot right? Mm-hmm. And clearly Hugh Laurie's character is extremely important to them. That's been established to us, that like he's one of the big guys of the resistance. And these three people come in guns blazing, 100% disregarding everything he's saying while you've got the Americans simultaneously mm-hmm. trying to breach the walls of the city. Like, all of that was off. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just yeah, it, it yeah, they, yeah. They came in guns blazing and like didn't need to. Because there's like three, to. three or four of them and one of him. Like there was, there was no need for that kind of. Um, he could have been very useful to them ultimately instead of them like trying to, instead of threatening to kill him. I just, I like felt that that was very awkward as well. Or even just like fucking shackle him outside, let the Americans take care of it. Yeah. Like, since when are you? I don't think the resistance just assassinated people front and center willy-nilly, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's just a radio boy. It seemed like such a overreaction to him in a city that's occupied, right? Like, this isn't a secret German shoulder who's, soldier who's infiltrated you. You've got a German soldier in a town full of German soldiers. Like, Yeah, yeah he's not a spy. Was, no, the reaction was so over the top. Yeah, it would have been one thing, like, it would have been one thing if he had been a spy, right? And all of a sudden, like, he's he's been living in the town or whatever, and then you find out that, no, actually, he's he's not. Yeah, right. 100%. That's a, that Then that reaction doesn't feel outsized, but it was very outsized for, like, the circumstance in which they captured him. Yeah. And barely captured. Like, he, they didn't capture him. He came willingly because yeah. he killed his superior officer and was like, well, I don't know what the fuck to do now. I might as well go with these guys, right? Yeah. Like. Yeah. I'm dead either way, pretty much is his feeling. And this guy's got a cool beard and motorcycle. I'll fuck around with him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, whereas the the rest of them, like, it just felt... Like, it was almost unnecessary. Like, they, it made yeah. more sense that there was more people involved in the explosion. So, like, I get why they were there. But they just, they're... Yeah, them coming in, like, so hot, guns blazing, like, ready to kill anyone and anything. I was like, I don't feel like that's how this would have gone. Absolutely. And it would have, that, like, explosion payoff that killed all of them 
would have been heightened if it was, you know, a tense, but everybody sitting down talking, right? Like the shock of that. Yes. yes. Juxtaposed with what is, you know, he said it was a trial, but probably was the wrong name for what that was. Mm -hmm. It sounded like it was going to be a lynching, right? Like that would have, the payoff of that would have been way, way better. Much more shocking. Even if it had been set, like, staged so that he's sitting on the one side of the table and they're on the other side. Mm-hmm. And, like, Hugh Laurie's in the middle. Yes. Right? Something like that that, like, gives you that visual, like, okay, here's the division as it should be. But then you have this, like, resistance leader who is clearly not on the side of the resistance in this moment. Mm-hmm. And, like, um, physically putting his body between him, which he does at the end. Yes. But again, it it doesn't see like they're gonna shoot Hugh Laurie. They said like, yeah, you'll die too. And it's like okay, everyone's everyone's motivation here is unknown and so heightened that it's not working. Mm-hmm. It's too big, right? Like it's too. You can't have all these big characters in a scene yelling and screaming all the time. It doesn't work. No, it doesn't. I'm just reading about the novel itself, just like some other stuff here on Wikipedia. Um, so it was published in 2014, and its first print run was 60,000. Oh. And then by December 2014, it had been reprinted 25 times with over almost a million copies. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the best-selling novel, 20th best-selling novel of 2014, fourth best-selling novel of 2015. So by January 20. 21 this is fascinating because like to me this is like it's widely widely read it had only sold 9.3 million copies worldwide by january 2021 and then 15 million copies by september 2021 which when you think of a population of 8 billion like that is an absolute drop in the bucket mm-hmm. of like what of the how widespread this is which is i think why as much as this is like a best best-selling novel, I do think this is why the this miniseries was sanitized, like you say, for an American audience. Yeah. Because That's... you don't need to have the background knowledge. You don't need to have mm-hmm. all the stuff in order to like kind of get into the story. Yeah, like it's the it's been it's well known, right? But that's also interesting too, because I think that really reflects word of mouth, right? Of like, oh, I read this book. And it, like, mm-hmm. nearly doubles nine months later. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, for like I said, for any people that I know who, like, like to read, mm-hmm. I recommended this book to basically everybody that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it's beautiful and I think it's absolutely worth reading. Um, and so, yeah, maybe this is sort of that thing. And so I also, funnily enough, while we've been recording, my buddy Steve... Um, He's like, have you heard of the, the Netflix series? What did you think? Have you watched it? And I said, actually, Kelsey and I are talking about it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he hasn't finished the book, so he doesn't want to watch the, the series until he finishes the book. Yes, good which call. Which I think that's a very good call. He's about three quarters of the way through, so he'll, he'll listen um, to this once he's wa- finished both, uh, he said. But I'll be curious to know what he has to say and sort of what yeah. some of his thoughts are. Um, just because, you know, but it's one of those things. I told him, I was like, you need to read this book. Like, it's phenomenal and you should read yeah. it. Absolutely. And I would still recommend the book. Oh, me too. I mean, if you don't want to read the book, I would. I think this series is fine if you know nothing about the book. Mm-hmm. I think the series does a fine job. might be a little bit confusing in some spots, but like, if you don't haven't read the book, I think it's okay. Um, but it wouldn't inspire me to go read the book. 
no, if I was going to watch no, the no, series no, no, first. No, not at all. Not at all. Absolutely not. Which other things that I've seen, other adaptations that I've seen would make me want to go read the book if I hadn't read it first. Yeah, 100%. So, um, I don't know, three and a half maybe out of five? Yeah. Somewhere in there? Yeah. Somewhere in there. It's not the best thing I've ever seen. It's got high moments. It's got low moments. It, Like you said, it was fine. Mm-hmm. It, it did what I think it sort of set out to do with some bumps along the way. Yeah. Right? It's one of the most watched things on Netflix right now, so, like, it's succeeding in that respect. So, like, who am I to... Who, who are we to really be super judgy, right? Like, I don't know. I have a... Oh, fuck off. I'll judge everything all day long. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. Like, it's one of those things. Like, we could be like, oh, we didn't like this, and here's all our nitpicky reasons why. But then someone else could be like, no, I really loved it. And, and honestly, completely valid. Because, yep. like we said, there are there are emotional beats in here that really work. Mm-hmm. And that in of itself is successful. Like, if you emotionally connected to any moment or character in this miniseries then it's worthwhile. If it made you feel something, it's worthwhile. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Speaking of emotionally connecting, I've been reading, well, one of the books that I read uh, thus far on my break. I've been off work for almost a week and I still have like five more days. I'm very excited. Um, One of the books that um, I'm reading is called Just Another Missing Person. It's just a mystery. Um, And the author's name is Jillian McAllister and she's... I assume she's British because her characters are all British. Um, so I'm just assuming. And she's written another one that I posted on my story. Um, she's written one called Wrong Place, Wrong Time. And someone's like, oh, is it as good as this one? And that Wrong Place, Wrong Time ended up in like Reese Witherspoon's book club. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, I have not connected. I'm like, I was like three quarters of the way through and I just stopped. I was like, I'll finish it because I want to know how this girl ended up going missing mm-hmm. but it wasn't compelling enough for me to like keep going yeah which is annoying because like it's got over four stars on amazon it's 4.2 which generally speaking anything that's four stars or higher on amazon is like i'll probably enjoy it yeah. um i didn't look at the goodreads it's only 3.7 and maybe that's why it just like there's just something about it where i'm just like not the stakes feel simultaneously too high and too low Hmm. Where I'm just like, I don't understand why this character is doing this, but also, like, this character is fucking nuts. So, like, what's the... It's very, very, like, uneven, and I'm not... There's, like, a secret, and the DCI, her and her daughter, are, like, keeping this secret from her husband, essentially. Um, And someone's using this secret that they thought they'd kept to blackmail her into framing someone for murder. But, like, I don't... essentially, you're, like, a big who cares... Yeah, basically. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's really annoying. And so someone else, someone when I posted it on my story, someone was like, oh, I read that. And I liked it. I read it and liked it more than, like, the Lucy Foley books. And I was like, how is that possible? Oh, I've those got Lucy the Paris apartment right here staring at me, ready to read. Those Lucy Foley books are just so tight. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's not a word that's, like, out of place and everything is so economical. But, like, and all the characters are just spot on. And this one, I'm just like, I don't know. But again, obviously people like things differently because, like... I'm not in this book. Whereas other people very clearly are. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And the problem is it's called Just Another Missing Person. And every time I look at the cover, I sing uh, Just Another Manic Monday in my head because it like, it fits. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, the like fact that, yeah. yeah, the fact that that's where I am means that this is not, not great. It would probably make a pretty good TV movie though. 
well, I think this would probably, work well on screen. Right? Because you've got, yeah, you've got the, like, actual dramatic irony you can work with yes. there to do something. And it's got the multiple things. perspectives, right? Yeah. There's, like, four or five different characters that the story's told from. And, like, I think it would make a perfect, like, movie. I just mm-hmm. am not, I'm just not in it with this book. And it's just really interesting because I had this conversation with someone else and how much they really liked it. And I was like, well, I'm really happy for you, but I am not there. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Have you read anything else interesting in the last little while? Um, haven't read anything other than Little Blue Truck over and over and over again. <laughs> so give me Engine Pert, friendliest sound you've ever heard. <laughs> so in the next couple of weeks, I have three baby showers to go to in over a span of eight days. Um, no offense to the friends that are going to be listening to this. Baby showers are my second least favorite thing. They're terrible. After they shouldn't exist. Wedding showers. Yeah. Um, baby showers. At least there's usually kids around, and I like people's kids, so like that's fine. Um, but I have one in Calgary uh, on a Saturday, and then one here the next day on the Sunday, and then another one here the following Saturday. Um, one of them, though, for one of my friends from work, she has asked that in lieu of any cards, because who wants cards, she wants everybody to bring their, like, favorite kids' book and inscribe the front cover. And it was really funny because I was like, oh, but there's going to be all these duplicates and whatever, and I'm not in charge of anything. I would have made a list Mm -hmm. or, like, a a Google form or a spreadsheet and been like, can you put what book you're bringing and, like, let's not duplicate. Yeah. Um, Just to, you know, broaden options. But I've decided for this one that I'm going to go with Pigs by Robert Munch because the main character's name is Megan. Um, and that's like one of my, it's one of my favorite kids books. And when James was little, we would read and like, obviously he was like two and couldn't read, but he knew when it was time to say the one line that she would say, she'd always be like, Hey, you dumb pigs. And so as we would read it, I would like pause and then he would whisper it. And then we would carry on, and that was, like, one of my favorite things. So I've decided that's the book that I'm going to contribute to this. I also think that because it's, like, a Robert Munch book, and there's lots of way more fun and interesting and, like, flashy books now that I'm... uh, It's unlikely someone else is going to pick that. Is it a board book or regular? There's both. Okay. I might do the regular, just for later. Later, yeah. That's the thing. It's, like, board books... Oh, I didn't send you the picture, but in our pre, pre-recording pre conversation that lasted an hour, um, <laughs> my toddler committed many crimes this week, including chewing on his book, a board book. He's two and a half. He's much too old to be doing this, and yet, here he goes. But he's almost at the age now where we can get the non-board books from the library, and he doesn't completely destroy them. So oh, that's good. Well, there's, I still am inclined to buy them right now because he just like, we read them over and over and over. And he just like, just like his most loved books are completely destroyed. And he has them memorized because they're just, mm-hmm. we like do He knows so what's times. coming. He knows what's coming. He loves yeah. to do it over and over and over again. The bindings don't hold up, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. They're 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 in rough shape. So the the non board books will last longer if they're preserved until a time in which <laughs> yes they won't eat them. Yes. Well, and I know I remember the thing too. Like when James was little, and I would go over and like you know 
help put him to bed or whatever. When he's t- when they're tiny, you just read to them anyway. Yeah. And you can read whatever you want. So, like, did I read some Jack Reacher to the kid? Of course I did. 100%. <laughs> because, like, it didn't matter. He it just needs matter. to hear a voice. Yeah. Um, but I remember one of the things that, that his parents did was when he was little, they would read some of the regular books that they had. And then as he got older and, like, fussier and whatever, it was to the board books and, like, the cloth books so that he wouldn't destroy them. Yeah. 100%. Because you're right, kids commit crimes. Kids commit crimes every day. It's nice, too, if you have the option of getting both. Mm-hmm. Because the board books are getting more and more expensive, which sucks. Oh, they're so expensive. But it's it's really handy to have copies of a loved book that can grow up with your kid. Because there will mm-hmm. be a point in which they're like, I'm too old for that. That's, you know, that's a little kid book. Mm-hmm. And you can't really inscribe the point. inside cover of board books anyway. No, because usually the inside cover is, is the, the first book. page. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, but yeah, I think that's what I'm going to go with is, uh, and then I bought, uh, I showed, I sent you a picture of a couple of things that I bought. One of my friends at work, they just had a baby, a little girl, and I bought um, a onesie for her. It's got a dinosaur on it and I'm very excited about it. <laughs> Oh, 100%. It's so fun uh, buying kids' clothes. Oh, my oh, God. Kids' clothes, kids' books, like, little stuff. I was with my mom yesterday. We did some, like, early Christmas shopping and, and whatnot because um, I was off work and so we could go and look for stuff for my dad. And we went into Roots, and she was looking for a couple T-shirts for some uh, some other kids um, that she buys stuff for. And I was just looking at socks. I didn't buy any socks for children, but, like, little stuff is so cute. Like, little mittens and little socks. Oh, little it's toques, so just like the most adorable. It's the most adorable. It's so frustrating though because I only wear them for like two or three weeks and then they're too big. Mm-hmm. But that's why it's so nice that I've got like a nephew to pass things on to because I get to see it worn twice every time <laughs> my sister in law <laughs> sends me a picture. I'm like, oh, there it is. There's that onesie with the bears on it, you know? <laughs> like... yeah. yeah, the one time. The one time. You get to see it all over again. That's cute. That's fun. Um, well, I'm happy that you're reading kids' books. Um, I have some other books I want to read this week before I go back to work. I've got, like, three more that I'd like to burn through. Oh, wonderful. Love one of them movie. is the next Hannah Grace one. Uh, it's like... Oh, can't I'm wait happy. for you to tell me all about it. Yeah, super excited. Also, another Tessa Bailey one, which I might... I think I have enough time to kill this afternoon uh, before I got to go somewhere that I might read that. So, Yeah. Got some stuff to read. That's about it. I do have a question. So I forgot where I had saved it. I'd seen it on Instagram and I was like, where did it go? And I'd actually, actually saved it on Instagram, which is shocking that I did that. Um, and then I found it because I was looking for something else. I was like, oh yeah, this is the question. So this sort of kind of stems from a conversation that we had at some point in time. And I don't know if you'll remember it, but it just like made me laugh. So the question is, I don't know what's going to happen if she's going to start talking while I'm on my headphones. So we'll, we shall see. Um, no, she's not. Okay. So here's the question. If you suddenly discovered that I had a secret room in my house that I've been hiding from you, what would you assume is inside it? Oh my God. And this is like, yeah. So we had a conversation once I was talking with somebody else and then I mentioned it to you that if you had a secret room inside your house, that dolls would be worse than dead bodies. 
Okay. I and I saw it and I was like, oh, we've had this conversation. And you did not agree with me that dolls would be worse than dead bodies. But no. we can talk about that after. What would you assume that I'm like hiding this secret room? So it's not books because I would be like, look at my room of books. Yeah. So what would be in my secret room? Here's the thing that's tricky is that you are, which I think is good and I think we both do this, is you're so, we are so upfront with what our guilty pleasures are, right? That it's like, there's no shame in it. We're like, fuck yeah, this thing rules and that guy's hot and send me gifts of an aging Sidney Crosby all day long, like. You know what Did I mean? Did you look at that gif and that tweet yesterday? I still haven't yet. I'm so sorry. But I trust you. I trust Dude, you. Dude, holy shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it after. But okay. you know what I mean? Like, that's the, that's the tricky part is, like, what's the phrasing again? Like, what would I expect or what would I be shocked to find? It, the phrasing is, like, if I... If, so I'm hiding the secret room from you. So it's not so much yeah. what would you expect, but it's, like... Um, what would you assume is in it? Like you find out that I have this secret room. I haven't told you about it. You know, there's something in it. What's the assumption that you're going to make of what's in it? Oh, I think it was. Oh God, that's so, that's so hard. Did I answer it the first time you sent it to me? No, I never sent it to you. Oh, I thought we had talked. Oh no, we talked about We talked about the dead bodies and the, the dead dolls. Bodies. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be, hmm. I'm going to say full-size cardboard standees of Dwayne The Rock Johnson and <laughs> Uhtred Son of Uhtred and Clay Matthews. Just like a Dude, whole I was gonna like, say, closet of have an them. answer, I was going to be like, you know it's cardboard cutouts of hot dudes. No <laughs> like, way! That's the only thing that it would be. <laughs> yes! Crushed it. Because, like, Crushed it wouldn't be so much, you would, but this is the thing, I wouldn't be hiding it from you. Exactly, yeah. That's I would be, really like, tricky. setting up my secret room, and I'd be like, Kelsey, look at these cardboard cutouts that I have. I would be hiding it from other people. Yeah, and I just imagine them, like, on hangers, like a giant closet that you just, like, you know, sort through one, the other. They're in, like, a wedding gown, <laughs> little <laughs> zip-ups, you know what I mean? Like, they're all yeah, yeah. perfectly preserved, and... That's how I imagine categorized and cataloged alphabetically, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it was really funny because I was like, yeah, if you don't have an answer, like, obviously this is the thing. But I wouldn't hide it from you. I would hide it from other people, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, there's lots of people that don't need to know about any of that stuff. Uh, if they listen to the podcast, though, they know everything. Um, but yeah, I, and I don't know, for you, it's the same thing. Like, you would be like, oh my god, I have extra space in my house that I'm gonna, like, keep secret from my husband and my child. Look what I'm putting in it. And you would just tell me. Yeah, Like, there's 100%. no... Yeah, there's no, there's no way. I think for you, I think the thing that you would hide from other people, maybe not from me, would be something super weird, like, in that episode of New Girl where, um, Winston's wife, I can't remember her name now. Like, Nassim Pedrad, where she you find out that she's got, like, this, all of, she was, like, on Japanese game shows and has all these, like, big, like, stuffies and, like, weird things. That's what yours would be somehow. It yeah. would be, like, giant squishmallows like or, like. A super niche collection of some yes. sort. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't, like, I would know about it. 
your sister would probably know about it. Larissa would probably know about it, mm-hmm. but like nobody else would know about it. Like if I got if in the next three years I got super into like Warhammer minifigs, yeah. <laughs> nobody would be surprised, right? But like no, that's no. not something I'd be chit chatting about and putting on my Instagram. <laughs> you no, know what I mean? That so would just like, be in the close friend story. <laughs> Yes, that would be in in the clo- they're not on display for anybody, right? Like it's just yeah. it's just a little creative thing to do, so I don't go fucking insane every day. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's it. But yeah, it's just such a funny question because, like, yeah, there's no way we would hide that from each other. Yes, yes, no question that we would not just tell each other immediately. Like, Look at this thing that I started collecting. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And then we would also that's what we would buy each other. Mm-hmm. We would add to each other's collections. That's the other thing. Yeah, that's the other thing, is it would, I think, here's the thing about best friendships, is that you are enablers. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And and, uh, perpetuate toxic behaviors in each other. (laughs) (laughs) In the name of comedy and compassion. (laughs) One of my friends from work, she uh, was, like, in the, the, like, mom's group where she lives, someone started, like, a branch off group for, like smutty romance rex mm-hmm. she's like should i join i was like yes 100 and it's yeah. only limited to people who are in the mom's group so like i can't join but i was like yes absolutely 100 percent uh you have to join so that you can also give me recommendations and she's like done check i love that our society with the prevalence of the social media has created the ease in which one can access the subgroup of a subgroup of a subgroup and feel seen and complete. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and mm-hmm. there's no acknowledgement about the subgroup to the subgroup above it and above it nope. and above it and above nope. it. But you just have that capacity and that's wonderful. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, there are things that social media is really bad for and there are things that social media is really great for. Mm-hmm. Um and when it is, when I'm scrolling through my Instagram Explorer and it's like, oh, here's some other smutty romances, like, great, check, let's add these to my list. <laughs> Done deal. Uh, and then also, like, I don't know, the algorithm, it creeps me out every once in a while. It knows. Um, it knows. And it's like, it's kind of terrifying. Yeah, There's mine's been really bizarre lately. I don't know what is going on but i'm getting so much hockey content in it and i'm like i haven't watched a fucking hockey game in i don't know three years (laughs) four years like why am i getting all these accounts about the new jersey devils (laughs) (laughs) yeah no kidding especially since like our reason for paying attention to them has not been there for quite some time now um uh speaking of hockey i you don't have to say anything i just want to put this on here so i can put it in the summary uh today is november what's the day the ninth November 9th, 2023, the Edmonton Oilers have a record of 2-8-1, and one. and six years ago, right around this time, they were 4-7-1, and one, and I made some glib comment on the podcast that they would not hit 500, and they didn't, and I'm going to go on record today saying they will not hit 500 <laughs> this season either. Um, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I've, so far on my hockey podcast, all of the predictions I have made about the Oilers this season, I have been right, so just gonna like ride the high so satisfying it's very satisfying um do you have anything else um watch i can't remember what it's called it's the new nature documentary with uh, morgan freeman going through essentially like all of the major extinctions and the 
evolution of human beings from, you know, essentially like proto microorganisms sort of thing is fantastic and really, really beautiful to watch. The tricky thing is that nearly every episode ends with a mass extinction. So it's hard to convince your toddler who's very into dinosaurs Mm. um, that everything's going to be okay for the dinosaurs. And this wall of fire that they're running from (laughs) is hot, but everyone's okay. (laughs) Watching that episode with him yesterday was pretty tragic and traumatic, but he likes all the ones about the ocean. So maybe that's why he committed so many crimes yesterday. He was like, ugh, ennui. We're all gonna die. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, mom lied to me, so here's what's gonna happen. Lunch bowl on the floor. <laughs> yeah, it's so sad, though, because he's like, big dinosaur? They okay? <laughs> oh, no. I was like, yeah. At the end, I was like, it's just pretend. It's just pretend. <laughs> oh, no. That's funny. Um... Speaking of that, I haven't watched the documentary yet, but I have seen some of the narration bloopers from Morgan Freeman. And yeah, it's so funny. hysterical. And those two are from the same episode, too. And you, as a viewer, are also like, what the fuck is this? Every time a new <laughs> animal shows up. So it's really, really funny to see Morgan Freeman also freak out about how ridiculous <laughs> everything looked. Yeah. Do you know what? So speak, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end the episode on a fun fact about the ocean. Um, other than the fact that the ocean is terrifying, we should all stay out of it. Uh, did you know that there is no limit, ultimately, to how big things can grow in the ocean? Mm-hmm. And so land is a much safer place to be. Because if we consider how much of the ocean is unexplored, and like, you know, I don't want to say undiscovered, but essentially undiscovered. Unmapped, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, unmapped. That's a good, yeah, that's good. Um, just considering there could be things down there that we, A, don't know about, Mm -hmm. and B, are larger than we can imagine. And you know what I don't like thinking about? Those things. Yeah, it's pretty upsetting, especially when that show really focuses on, like, the megafauna that existed at different times of Earth's existence. And -hmm. you're seeing these squids that, I shit you not, are eight have shells shells on them, hard shells, when squids had hard shells, that were eight meters long. Yeah. Yeah, no, and they're you. just like, they're just like, it was almost like a rival, where there, it's just like a flock of them just like floating towards you. It was fucking awful. <laughs> I hate everything that you just said. Um... Because the ocean is terrifying in general, Mm -hmm. uh, and that makes me want to curl up in my bed and never leave. Yeah, it's it's a great show. It's very interesting to watch. And the dinosaurs are fine at the end. It's just pretend. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. That reminds me, one time I was watching a Sharks documentary uh, with James when he was like maybe three, and he really, he would, he's not a fan of, like, animated stuff or whatever, but he likes documentaries. Mm-hmm. And I don't like sharks. And he knows I don't like sharks. And so we're sitting there in the basement watching this thing. And it's fine. I know there's nothing dangerous about it. And he's like, it's okay, auntie. I'll tell you when you can look again. Oh, that's <laughs> so like, oh, sweet. You precious little boy. Thank you. It's so funny. So then funny. I have to, like, 
I had to like watch through my hands because he thought I was so scared, but I was like kind of interested in what was going on. <laughs> so yeah. I was like kind of watching through my fingers so I could see what was happening. And then when the sharks went away, he's like, they're gone. I'm like, oh, thanks, bud. Yeah. That's so, it's so funny to watch things with, with little kids and like see Max just consistently <laughs> label animals wrongly. Like there's some sort of like proto reptile that's kind of a mix between a turtle and a rhinoceros and max looks at it and he's like hippo i was like you know what dude you're fucking right sure it's a hippo you know okay my headphones are gonna die so we should close this out we should wrap it up this is a long one it is a long one um Anyway, you can find our things all over the internet, wherever you look for podcasts. I don't know. Just look for Garbage Fire Podcast. You'll find us somewhere. Yeah. That's about all I got. Um, That's it. Yeah. And this has been like almost two hours. So as always, thank you so much for listening. (laughs) And we'll see you in 2024.